We keep trying to live the promises of God while continuing to submit to the principles of the world and it doesn't work. It's why we're so frustrated. So Jesus wants to teach us to live not by what we feel, but by what he says. This is Live Empowered with author and speaker Kelly Lotta, a podcast to help you find authentic faith in Jesus. Here's Kelly. I don't know if anybody else today can um, relate to that feeling of wrestling and oppression and um, when you just are so focused on lack um, that everything that God is calling us to seems impossible. Um, But I just, God has just been stirring up a word in my heart that I want to share with you today um, that links to our independence from the enemy's regime. Um, Phil mentioned this morning as we got started, you know, happy Independence Day and, and spoke that reality that our, the independence was actually a transition of regimes, right? So it wasn't just freedom from government, it was exchanging one for another. And I think sometimes we look at our freedom from the enemy, what the cross bought us, and we just think it's just freedom. And we forget the part that we're slipping into another regime, and there is government. And in order for us to live in the blessings of that regime, we need to understand the way of that kingdom, the way of that government. And so that's what um, God's been stirring on my heart to speak to you about this morning. As we celebrate this Freedom Sunday, I want to remind you of Galatians 5.1. It makes a bold statement. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So there is a command here where, where God is calling us not to submit to what Jesus has already freed us from. And we wrestle with this, every one of us. And I think we understand that in terms of sin and oppression. We want to celebrate that freedom. But I think God wants to show us something else today. Take us even into something more. Because Jesus actually came to free us from our bondage to the world itself. He came to more than just what we understand sin to be. He offers freedom from the limitations that the world imposes on us. Um, In John chapter 12, Jesus had been speaking about his death. He's teaching the people, um, the teaching that a grain of wheat must fall to the ground and then die to reproduce. And so he's trying to teach them that his death is coming. He's preparing them for it. And then he announces what his death is going to accomplish. In John 12, 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. And now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So he makes this statement, my death is going to pass judgment on the world and drive out its ruler. Now, he's not talking about judging the people of the world. Many of us can probably quote John 3.16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave himself to die for it. So this judgment of the world is not a judgment of the people. It is judging the regime. It is talking about the world system that Satan, its ruler, created and established over us. And he's saying, now is the time for this world to be judged and be found lacking. I have something more for you that I want to teach you to step into. So 1 John chapter 2 defines the world for us according to um, how God sees it. Just a couple verses here I'm going to read to you. First John chapter 2 verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it begins with this command not to love the world or what the world is offering. And if this is where you are, anyone who loves the world... The love of the father is not in him. The one who's still stuck loving the ways of the world has not been caught and captured by the love of the father and freed from it. And that's what he's inviting us into. And that's what he he defines the world right here with three things. He says all that is in the world, and he defines it with these three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. And he says these things did not come from the father. The creator who created all things did not create these, according to scripture. It did not come from the Father. It came from the world. They were opposed, imposed on us by the ruler of this world, and it is the world system created to actually limit and control you. It is what he uses to oppress us. And so that's just the way the world processes and interprets everything, first of all, by what we feel, the desires of the flesh, by what we see, the desires of the eyes, and by our own effort and abilities, our pride, our self-sufficiency. This is what the enemy shackled us to. We were designed to live connected to a heavenly father who loves us, filled with his love, and just flowing from all that he is without limitation. And when sin separated us from our father, The enemy imposed these things on us, and we've been caught living, trying to do for ourselves, work for ourselves, limited by what we see and what we feel, and that's still what we wrestle with, most of us. We make judgments based on what we feel, what we see, and and what we can do, and that automatically separates us from divine blessing. We will never access what God provides through means Satan created. That way of living is not God's design. It's what we know, so it seems right, right? I can see it, but Jesus says, I want to teach you to live not by what you see, but by what I've said. That's actually how God defines faith. He says, faith is being certain of what you can't see. Faith is what ushers us into every blessing that God has. It's what accesses the power of God, the grace of God. And so if we're going to learn to step into divine promises, we need to learn to live higher. Um, We keep trying to live the promises of God while continuing to submit to the principles of the world, and it doesn't work. It's why we're so frustrated. So Jesus wants to teach us to live not by what we feel, but by what he says, according to the word of God. Not by what we see, but by what he's promised, and not by our own effort and ability but by God's provision. That's actually what grace is. The provision of God that he's lavished on us. And that's our truth according to the word of God that you and I have been lavished in grace. Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and eight tell us that he lavished us in the riches of his grace with all wisdom and insight. I don't know what that word lavished speaks to you, but it's not scarcity. It is abundance. He was not stingy with what he poured out, but he wants to teach us how to draw from that grace. He says, I have blessed you and lavished you in grace. 
But we so struggle because even though he has blessed us and lavished us in that grace, we have not learned to live by the faith that releases it. We keep living bound by what we see, what we feel, and what we can do in our own strength. And God is inviting us today to go higher. So we're going to look today at a familiar story. If you'd turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. This is a passage of scripture where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we're going to see if we can figure out how to step into what is the, the kingdom structure, the way his government works, that we can begin to step into divine provision instead of um, being stuck in our own lack and self-sufficiency. So I just want to, though, establish a couple things up front because when we're, when we're talking about um, provision, we can you know, get kind of excited about, yeah, I want to tap into this thing so that I can start getting all my wants and desires met, and that's not what this is about. Um, the first thing we just want to establish clearly is that God's provision flows to his purposes. There is a direct link between what God is doing and what he is going to provide for. He's not just a genie that we rub or make our wish to just fulfill everything we desire. Jesus actually came to us saying, follow me. Follow me. Put aside what you think it is that you desire, what you feel you need. And trust me to lead you into what you actually need. And he says, if you will trust me and begin to step with me into that place, then you can access divine provision that is going to begin to pour out and flow through you to fulfill what God has for you. So it starts with him. And the second thing I want us to realize up front is that our individual blessings are linked to the blessing on God's people as a whole. It's about all of us. We will never live self-centered and tap into our divine blessing. It just won't happen. That is not the way God created it. He himself is relationship. He loves relationship and fellowship. And he wants us to begin to think in terms of that, that we are not separate beings from one another, that when we enter into his family, there is connection there that happens. And what he gives to us is not for us, it's for others. We all benefit with it as, as it goes, but that's God's design. Um, the enemy wants to keep us looking at ourselves, and it's all about me and what I can do. But if we're going to start stepping into kingdom promises, we need to understand this isn't about me. It's about the whole and ask God to give us eyes to, to see the others. Romans 12.5 says that we, although many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There are two places in scripture where it says that, that we are members of one another. There is no separation in God's sight for that. There's individual, beautiful relationship and blessing, but what he's trying to do in any given season is about the whole. So we are part of one another, connected to him to experience a shared blessing. God brought us here to this church, those those of us that um, attend here, because he has something that he intends to do through this body together. And we each have individual gifts that we bring to aid one another in completing the whole thing that God has for us to do. And so we need to have that mindset if we're going to begin to step into what God has for us. If we miss that, that it is about a shared blessing, we will never fully experience our own. We will, we will be living in lack. I can't help thinking of Caleb and Joshua when all the Israelites were getting ready to go into the promised land. They sent in the spies. Only two believed what God said. The rest were limited to what? 
what they saw, what they felt, and what they could do with their own strength. That's the world, what the cross came to deliver us from. Two said no. I believe what God said. I've seen it with my eyes, and I see that the land is good. I also see the enemy, but I believe my God is greater, right? And they said, God's the one that's, that's promised. It's not about what we have. It's about what he said and what he can do. And so they believed. However, they didn't get to go in at that moment, did they? They had to wait for the next generation. They still got to go in. But because the blessing is linked to the whole, they had to wait until the others were ready to step in with them. Do you see that picture? It is about the whole and God is always moving connecting the body and what he's doing one to another and we'll need that perspective if we're going to step into what he has. Okay, so let's start looking at the scripture. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse uh, 13, but just to give you some context, you may even see in your Bible there that immediately preceding this is the death of John the Baptist. So he had been uh, the, the precursor preparing the way for Jesus. He had actually baptized Jesus. That very last um, verse before the passage we're starting says that John's disciples came, took his body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus about it. So this is what has just happened prior to this miracle um, of feeding the 5,000. And so verse 13 tells us, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I'm just going to stop right here for a second. Jesus uses the term by himself, but the disciples are actually with Jesus. He's getting away from the crowd, but not his own, not his people. We find that in Mark's version of it that actually tells us that just prior to John's death, Jesus had sent out the disciples to, two by two to heal and to teach and to preach. And so they had done that. And so Mark's version says he sends them out. John dies. They come back and they're telling about the experience. And so Jesus says, okay, come away with me and that we can be by ourselves to heal. So Jesus withdraws from the crowds with his fellowship of disciples and they're exhausted from serving. They've just gotten back from serving. Jesus is grieving John was actually his cousin, his first cousin. So this is family, not just ministry people, but actual blood family. And so he's just stepping away, taking a moment, and the crowds are all following on the shore. So it's not a big body of water. They're out there in the boat having some minutes of rest, and the crowd is seeing where they're going and following ahead. So it's already there waiting for them when they get to the other side. So verse 14 tells us, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I just want to just make sure we notice that point that divine provision begins with compassion. The miracles of God flow through compassion. It's not about power, it's about the heart, sharing God's heart. And so here's Jesus, remember this is a time of personal loss for him, and he comes and he steps out and he sees a need, and he decides, okay, it's time for us to meet that need. Lots of people want to see miracles and perform them right? We hear a lot about it in our day. We want to see the glory of God falling. We want to see people healed. We want to see the miracles. But I wonder if for many, it isn't just about the miracles. 
There's stories in scripture where it was just about the power, right? We want to experience the power. We want to see God move. But if we really want to see God move, we've got to share his heart. And that starts with compassion. It's not just about seeing power. It's about being moved by, by the pain that we see others suffering. There's a beautiful picture of that up here this morning. Just sisters coming alongside, moved by compassion to pray in someone's grief. That's God's heart, and that's where we have to start. Um, compassion is what compels Jesus. He wasn't trying to d- draw attention to himself. I don't know if you recall, he's often told people when he would perform a miracle, don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about it. Just enjoy it. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He just saw a need, was moved by the need, and then became the means to meet that need. That's what, that's what he does. So the disciples are still learning who Jesus is. They're taking this journey with him, and they're supposed to carry on his legacy, but they still don't really understand what they carry and what is fully available to him, to them through this, their connection to him. And so we come to verse 15. So they've been serving, healing the sick. And now when it was evening, the disciples come to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So it's late. It's desolate, right? What they see with their eyes, there's no provision here. There's not enough for everyone. What are they feeling? We're tired, we're hungry, and what are they looking at? Their insufficiency. There's nothing we can do here, right? And so they're very aware, though, of the power that Jesus carries. Remember, they just came back from healing people. They'd been out serving. They themselves were operating in the power of God to heal the sick and cast out demons right before this. And so they're very aware of that. But I think so often there's a disconnect between what we consider ministry, teaching and healing, and meeting practical life needs. I wonder how often we know we need Jesus for this. But this, we, we switch back into the ways of the world. I've got to do this myself. I've got to earn for my family. I've got to provide. I've got to do these things. And we sort of separate. So again, we've got one foot in the world's kingdom, one foot in the divine kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not sufficient. I want you all in my kingdom. I want you drawing from me, not just for ministry, teaching, healing, serving. I want you drawing from me for everything every bit of provision that, that you would need. And so from their perspective, they're just looking at these, well, these people are just hungry. Let them go take care of it, right? Looking not in trying to meet the needs of the whole, looking at the individuals to meet the need themselves. And so Jesus, that's not his way, right? He's trying to teach them something new. And he says to them in verse 16, they need not go away you give them something to eat. You do it. Can you imagine (laughs) how we all would respond in that moment? But I want you to also see here that the miracle originates with Jesus' desires and intentions, not the disciples, right? The disciples were like, send them away. Let them go get food for themselves. Jesus says, oh no, I have something that I want to do here. And then he invites them into that miracle, It always begins with Jesus' intentions. Divine power flows where Jesus is to empower what Jesus is doing. And that's one of the big things that we need to understand. So often we expect God to bless our ideas and submit to our will. 
even doing good things. I'll come up with some good idea. We don't bother asking Jesus if, if it's what he wants to do. And we just expect because we're under the blessing of God that we're going to experience that blessing somehow. But that's not the way it works. He says, come to me. I have things I'm doing. If you come and see where I am, then you can join me in what I'm doing. So Jesus waits until they recognize the need. He hasn't said anything to them before it, in advance of this, right? They're just serving. And he waits until they say, um, there's no food, let's send them away. And he says, oh no, I want you to provide it for them. So he waits until they recognize it and then invites them to meet it. He sets up an impossible situation from an earthly perspective. But again, he's teaching them and us a lesson in divine provision. So the Poor guys standing there saying, we're supposed to give them something to eat. They say to Jesus, we have only five loaves here and two fish. It's impossible. They didn't even have enough to feed themselves. And they're still thinking in terms of their own capacity. And Jesus answers, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. There's something in that statement that just makes my heart stir. And everything, Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. It's always about approaching him. And so he's teaching them the answer to every problem is found through fellowship with me. Not distance, fellowship. Come close, hear what I'm saying to you, and then step into it. And I love too that the disciples didn't need to come up with a strategy. It wasn't about their plan. It wasn't God saying, here's what I want you to do. Come up with a way to go do it. He says, bring what you have to me. Simple truth. Just bring it to me. Um, so he's not requiring us to produce anything. And then he does three things according to verse 19. He orders the crowds to sit down on the grass. He takes the five loaves and the two fish that have been given him by the disciples. And he looks up to heaven, says a blessing, and then he breaks the loaves, gives it back to the disciples, and the disciples give it to the crowds. So he does three things here. He blesses what he receives, then he breaks it, and he gives it back to the disciples. He doesn't directly hand it to any of the multitude that are sitting on the hill. He gives it only to his own to pass out to the rest. So he blesses, he breaks, and he distributes. This is how God multiplies. He's showing us the key right here. This is how, if we need increase, this is where it comes from. When we have lack, this is, this is the provision. He blesses, breaks, and distributes. For anything to grow, it must be blessed by God, broken by God, given by God to his people. Jesus himself was blessed, broken, and given. And that is how he multiplied and increased on this earth. The father blesses him at his baptism. He goes to the cross and is broken. And then he is distributed to every single one of us who put our faith in him. That is how the multiplication happens. And so if we want to see the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ multiplied on this earth, we need to allow ourselves to be not just blessed by God, but broken by God and given by God. It is how his kingdom works, but we can trust him in the doing because he is so good and love is the compelling factor behind all of it. But here's something else we need to see that God will only bless what we give him, what we offer him. 
and return to him what we place in his hands. They had these loaves and fish. If they just kept them and didn't bring it to Jesus and place it in his hands, the blessing would not have come over it. He blesses what we give. He's, he never forces his way in. He invites. He says, give it to me. Give it to me. You need something? Give it to me. But he waits for us to bring it to him and offer it. And when we do, when we place it in his hands, the blessing of God comes over it. Many of us expect Jesus to bless what we hold without having to return it to him. We work at our job. We have our funds. We expect God to bless it and grow it. And then when we have enough, we'll give it to him. It's not the way of the kingdom. It will always dry up that way. That is the way of the world. It's, it's lack. That's the world's kingdom. Jesus says, give it to me. Put it in my hands. And when you give it to me, then I will bless it and break it and multiply it. But that's where it has to start, what we place in his hands. We see this principle even with Abraham and Isaac, right? God says, I'm going to, through your offspring, all nations are going to be blessed. And what did Abraham have to do? Take his son, give it back, give him back. Give him back to God. And when he gave him back to God, he wasn't harmed. The blessing of God came over him. And it was able to multiply, not just through this son. Abraham could have lived his whole life hand in hand with his son on the earth. Right? But that wasn't God's intention. He wanted to bless the entire world through that son. But the way that it happens is we take what God has given. We return it to the Lord. And there in the place of, the, of return in God's hands, he blesses it and it can multiply. I want to ask you today, what do you need multiplied? <laughs> Is it time? Is it money? Place what you have in his hands to bless. All provision comes from God, but divine anointing only comes on what is returned. When they gave what they had to Jesus, the loaves and the fish came under the blessing of God, anointed with divine potential. That's where it happened. What we hold back from him, he does not bless. It will never multiply. It will only diminish. Life and increase flow from God himself. He is the source of it. So for something to continue to prosper and to grow and to flourish, it comes from God. It will always run out. We can, in our self-sufficiency, work hard, work ourselves into the ground, trying to make increase, make increase, make increase, but something is always depleting if we're doing it ourselves. We're exhausted. We carry this weight, we're crushed under it. And God wants to teach us, you know what? You, you come to me and there, can, there will be divine potential and provision flowing through you. It's actually the principle of the tithe, the holy portion. He just says, return it to me. Return it to me, put it in my hands and my blessing will come on all of it. Withhold it from me and it will never be blessed to grow. That's the principle of it. It's a principle of faith that he's trying to teach us. Divine anointing comes on what we return. Um, I want to pause here to share just a little bit of, of personal testimony from our family, our story. Um, most of you know my husband is a Ford dealer in Hanover. Um, 
And back in 2008, um, the economy had crashed and we were struggling. We had had three straight years of just substantial losses. I don't know if we even had a profitable month <laughs> in, in those three years. It was just depleting, depleting, depleting. And of course, my husband's doing everything that he can do to, to keep it afloat. And we were just wondering, you know, do we need to close the business? What, what's happening here? Um, I don't know if you remember at that time with the, where the economy was, the, the automobile dealers were actually all, most of them filing bankruptcy because every, everybody was struggling at that time. Ford happened to be um, one that didn't take the government money. Um, but that was all happening in that season. And we had just come through a hard time of um, dissolving a partnership. And, and that even came off a season of making judgments based on what um, our eyes saw and what we felt and what we thought we needed to do, not clear direction from the Lord that this is what he had. And so we ended up in a circumstance that was just a painful circumstance and, and had to get out of, and God was um, faithful, but it was one of those things I think we ended up taking the long way around when it could have been a much shorter route. Um, so that was where we were. We had been losing money almost every month for almost three years, no cash reserves. Um, the dealership in 2008, we had lost $800,000. That's losses. That's just one year. So that's where we were. And we were, um, it was in March of 2009 then, my husband comes to me and he says, um, we have 30 days. We have 30 days. If something, if something doesn't turn, it's over. It's gone. We lose the house. We lose the business. It was, it was all attached. Everything was tied in. And so, you know, we're just praying. And it, this was the first time in my life, 2008, that I really experienced the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Because in that time, I had been in a season where God was just wooing me to his heart. Just wooing me. I'd fallen so in love with him through his word. And I believed him to be faithful. And so there was just, and it is love that drives out fear. It really is true. I know it says it here, but it is knowing that we are loved. It is knowing that we, have, we are loved by a heavenly father that is the power to enable us to believe when what we see says everything else, when what we feel says everything else, when it is in front of us in, a, in an impossible situation. Love is the only thing that keeps us going in, in that moment and, and will drive out that fear. And so... He had been teaching me what it really means to live by faith, to hear and to follow him. And so I'm, I'm walking on that journey with him. And he brought me to a place where I just trusted, Lord, if this dealership is not your plan for us, you've got something else and it's going to be better. And that's, that's really where I was. And in that season, I had been praying for my husband. God was drawing his heart at the same time. Um, and Steve had been really trying everything he knew to make the dealership possible. He was meeting with other dealers, like what is everybody doing? Everybody was comparing and, and trying to figure it out because it was just this impossible situation. And there was one particular morning, um, my husband woke up early um, and just 
had been laying there in bed and just was praying silently before getting up to go to work. It wasn't, he, he normally prayed in the car on the way to the office, but that morning he woke up before his alarm went off. He turned it off that day and just started laying there praying. Now, he had just... Um, finished closing out the books for February. This was the beginning of March. And so we had lost over $100,000 that month. That month. Now this is, you know, 80 plus families that we're still responsible for. And so in this season, I mean, we're, we're paying salaries. We're paying the creditors, trying to see that everybody, and in that, we, we did make all those payments. <laughs> and we did, but everything was just running dry and it couldn't, it couldn't be sustained the loans that had to come out to cover that to see that everything was taken care of. We were just at a place that couldn't go further. So that particular month, we had just lost $100,000. And Steve that morning, just in his personal time with the Lord, just said to him, I don't understand, God. I don't see an answer, but I still believe. I still believe. And he just gave it back to the Lord. And He's, he's driving to work that morning. He had the music on. Normally, he, had, he was quiet because he was praying. He'd already spent some time in prayer, so we had worship on. And that was the first time he'd ever heard the Jeremy Camp song, I Still Believe. <laughs> Even when my eyes don't see, I still believe. And he just wept with God, having that moment, the Holy Spirit just confirming, I've heard you today. So within the next couple of weeks, things began to turn around. And that month, we broke even. In fact, he was just checking his books and we had an $8,000 profit. <laughs> so that's a $100,000 swing in one month. The only thing that had been done differently was putting it in your hands. God, I've tried it every way in my own strength. Every way. Done all I've, I know to do with my, my business acumen and whatever. God, I give it to you. And it turns around. Um, and so an attitude of stewardship was born in my husband's heart. I mean, in both of our hearts, but um, I just trust him with that part, the, the finances. And so it's when God calls him to give, I mean, he gives me the courtesy of letting me know what he's thinking. But, you know, we're just always in agreement to, to do that or whatever. But um, so that attitude of stewardship, um, you know, it is, it is through the hardship that God was teaching my husband what it really looks like to trust him, what it really looks like to come out of the world and live as a kingdom son, the shift that took place there. And so he did, the business began to grow and um, he made a commitment not long after that to tithe from the profits of the business. We always had tithed personally. We'd always given above the tithe when we could. We'd always given from the business when there had been abundance, but there had not been abundance for three years. And God just said, I'm trusting that you're going to start bringing and I will give not only personally, but from the business. His uh, bookkeeper, who was not a believer, was like, "Are you serious? You want me to write this? You want me to write this check first? <laughs> um, and but so since that time, only three months in the last ten years were we not profitable. Only three months. One of them being just last year when COVID hit and the government." Um, the governor declared that we were a non-essential business and, and we could not open the doors. Um, another was 
that first year afterward, he was, okay, we're starting to get profitable. And he started to take it back without realizing it and said to his sales force, we're not going to lose money one time this year. Lost money that month. <laughs> and he said, okay, God, I get it. Sorry. Here it's back again. He gives it back, right? So that's God's faithfulness. That's God's faithfulness. That business has allowed us to invest in people in ways that we have never imagined. We went from almost losing our home to now have a ministry that helps provide homes for people that don't have it. We're able to sow into this building and help build the house that God is, is doing here. Um, and so many other things that shift. Now we're helping people pay rent. We facilitate car repairs for broken families and people that can't afford it so they can drive safe vehicles. And we are able to give. We have a ministry space for teaching and discipling people into the love of God that costs almost $3,000 a month to maintain the space but we're able to do it because of what God has provided. Instead of diminishing, the increase came because we stepped out of what the world would say is the right way and stepped into living as a kingdom son and daughter. The anointing came on what we returned. We were always children of God. We were always blessed by God, but we weren't understanding how to live in the fullness of that blessing, right? The multiplication and the anointing on it came when it was returned. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first my kingdom, then all these things will be added. When we finally came to a place of understanding, okay, it's not this is for ministry and life and this is for us. And when it was just, it's all yours. My husband now actually, instead of saying president and owner of Gene Latta Ford, his card says steward. It's steward. And I don't know what the future holds. Right now, we have, what, 11 new cars on the lot because of this chip issue that's out there. I mean, according to the world, we are not going to be able to be profitable. But, you know, I just trust God. I just trust God. He is who he says he is. And God's blessing to the one links to his desire to bless all. If we were just people wanting to live under the personal blessing of what God could do for us, I don't think he ever would have multiplied what we had. But because we began to see people with the compassion that he sees people and say, how can we help be a part of meeting this need, God? What are you calling us to? Then it began to grow. If we do not understand that, if we are in this for personal gain and have no interest in pouring into and upholding one another, we will remain lavished in grace, but living in lack. Yes. Yes. Jesus wants to teach us how to enter into the abundance of his kingdom. And that is what Jesus demonstrates here in this parable with his disciples. He pulls them into his purpose and accomplishes it through them. He takes the boy's lunch, he blesses it, breaks it, and he gives it back to his disciples with increase with increase. God does the blessing, breaking, and distributing. It's all about His power. They didn't have to come up with anything. It wasn't their plan. But He distributed the anointed portion through those who belong to Him and serve Him. That's the way of the kingdom. That is the way of the kingdom. He gives to the one to bless the many. And when we understand that, it grows. It grows. The miracle occurs as the disciples give what they personally receive away. 
And to do that, what? Again, that takes trust. They themselves were hungry. But they took what God gave and they gave it to others. And what happened in that process? It multiplied as it was distributed. It multiplied in the giving. If they just held on to it or consumed it themselves, it wouldn't have grown. End of miracle, right? It, it grew as it was given. Luke 6:38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back. That, that's the way of the kingdom. It does not grow in the storehouse. It grows through use. It's the only way. Doesn't make sense according to the world, but it's what God says. And he is inviting us to trust him. Divine provision multiplies as it is given away. And verse 20 shows us the result. They all ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. Not, oh, they barely had enough. Satisfied. Oh, I feel good. Not too much that we overate. Not too little that we're still hungry. Satisfied. That's what he wants for us. And it says, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. 12 baskets. The disciples began without enough to feed themselves. They each finished, every one of them, with an overflowing basket of leftovers that would sustain them beyond that moment. Not just for today, but ahead going forward. Giving to the people did not mean that God's own would have to sacrifice their portion. I think that's one of the lies that the enemy speaks into the church. When we share what we have, it doesn't diminish. It actually grows. I think that's the miracle of the Acts 2 church that I believe with everything in me, God is calling us back to in this day that we would see and we would share what we have and we will all have enough. We will all have enough. And they had so much joy in that. And how does that happen? Because as we give and we use it for kingdom purpose, it multiplies under kingdom provision. They were not left wanting for more, satisfied. Our fellowship with Jesus allows us to give from God's fullness instead of our personal lack. We, this is where we get stuck, just like the disciples did, right? The enemy convinces us to fix our gaze on our lack. I'm not going there anymore with him. <laughs> I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus and I'm inviting you to do that with me. And I think it goes so far beyond just material possessions and, and needs that way. It is a principle for everything in the kingdom. When we use what is given to us, it multiplies. The gifts that God has given to us, when we use it, it multiplies. That's the, the parable of the talents, right? Use what he's given and he adds more. What, how, do, how do we lose it? By burying it. Stick it in the storehouse. Stick it in the storehouse for later. It applies to everything. I spent years battling the lie of lack and self-sufficiency. God calling me to teach. And I'm like, God, I have, I never went to Bible school. How can I do that? Jesus says, you give what I give you to them. You put yourself in my hands. As, and as I feed the word to you, you be willing to share. You take what I give you and you distribute it to them. And you trust that because it's coming from me, it's gonna be an anointed portion. And so it's gonna be exactly what is needed as it goes forth. You don't have to worry about it. That's my whole 
walk in ministry. There's nothing special about me, people. He just wants to know that you all have that invitation into something higher, into something more. And it might be scary because we like to make those judgments based on what we can see and feel and all of those things. But I just wonder, aren't we tired? Aren't we tired of striving and working so hard to produce and always feeling like there's never enough? And I just wonder if we could learn to be the children of God that he is inviting us to be. He keeps drawing me personally recently to this picture of me just being a little girl on my daddy's lap and letting my father delight over me. I wonder, do you just need to know that God delights in you? Not because of what you do, but just because of who you are, because he made you and he sees you and he loves you. And he just wants to teach you to receive. Father God, Lord, would you just open our hearts to the more? God, just right now all across the room, would you just lift our gazes to you? Lift our eyes to you. God, we've been focused, probably all of us in here, on something that is our lack. But God, I just ask you to move in our midst today, God, and just put faith into the hearts of your people that we could start to believe you for the more, for your provision, God, for your goodness and your love and your gifts, the wonder of who you are that you desire to pour out. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now the the world that he established will be found lacking as we trust you by what you say and what you promise to do. God, I just ask you to forgive our self-sufficiency. Lord, we just repent of it, God, and ask you to come in by your spirit and revive our hearts with faith to believe you for the impossible because that's where you start. It's what you do. I just pray your blessing upon these people, God. Wherever they are, whatever they need, God, would you just whisper into their hearts what it is that you desire to do for them, in them, through them today. And God, I just pray for a boldness and a courage to respond, to trust that you are a God who loves and you are a God who gives. It is the enemy that takes. You restore and you bless and you are so, so good. We love you, God. We trust you, God. We honor you, God. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. In his precious name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to author and speaker Kelly Lotta on the Live Empowered podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program and that it's encouraged and motivated you in your faith. We'd love to hear from you at kellylottaministries.org. Also, when you visit, you'll find a number of free resources to help you experience the lavish love, joy, and hope that God intended for us so we can overflow that into others' lives to reveal Christ, live truth, and love people.